Welcome to the Set of the Crime, your weekly Florida and federal criminal case law update podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Lesnetsky of Shore Scene Lesnetsky and Guy. And each week, I'm going to release one episode reviewing the previous week's Florida DCA and Florida Supreme Court decisions, and one episode reviewing the previous week's 11th Circuit Court of Appeals and U.S. Supreme Court decisions. So whether you're on your way to court, taking a jog, or otherwise have some time to spare, join me each week to get your dose of the latest criminal case opinions. All right, welcome back to the Side of the Crime podcast, the federal case law update edition. And today we're going to be uh, reviewing the case law opinions that came out of the 11th Circuit last week for the week of September 6th, 2022 through September 9th, 2022. And we have seven cases to review today, one published decision and six unpublished decisions. But before we get started, I uh, wanted to give you this note from the outstanding federal public defenders, Conrad Kahn and Jim Scuthin out of the Orlando office there. Um, the important precedential decision in Eugene Jackson was vacated by the 11th Circuit on September 8th, and the court ordered supplemental briefing. In Eugene Jackson, the 11th Circuit recently held that pre-July 2017 Florida cocaine convictions are not serious drug offenses under the Armed Career Criminal Act, but apparently the court wants to revisit the issue. So Eugene Jackson is no longer good law in the 11th Circuit, or anywhere, but the issue is also not foreclosed by precedent. So you can still argue that a pre-July 2017 Florida cocaine conviction under 893.13 is not a serious drug offense. And we will see how the 11th Circuit ultimately rules in the Eugene Jackson decision. All right, so the first case we have today is a published decision out of the 11th Circuit. It's USA v. Mac and J.C. Doak, and it was released September 7th, 2022. Mac and J.C. Doak were convicted of several counts related to Mac Doak's transporting his three adopted children across state lines to sexually abuse them, and J.C. Doak's aiding and abetting Mac. The Dokes both challenged the indictment, arguing that the indictment failed to allege the specific statutes criminalizing the sexual abuse that Mac Doak intended to commit when he transported the children across state lines, but rather just alleged the sexual abuse generally. The 11th Circuit began with a law related to indictments. An indictment is sufficient if it, number one, presents the essential elements of the charged offense, and number two, notifies the accused of the charges to be defended against, and number three, enables the accused to rely upon a judgment under the indictment as a bar against double jeopardy for any subsequent prosecution for the same offense. The Sixth Amendment guarantees notice to the accused of the nature and the cause of the accusation, and the Fifth Amendment assures that a grand jury will return an indictment only when it finds probable cause for all elements of the crime. The court noted that simplicity is acceptable. An indictment is constitutionally sufficient when it tracks the wording of the statute as long as the language sets forth the essential elements of the crime. Now here the Dokes argued that the government failed to allege uh, an essential element to the indictment by failing to allege the specific statutes 
he was alleged to have intended to commit when transporting the children. And he was deprived of notice of the charges he faced because these specific statutes weren't alleged in the indictment. So the 11th Circuit looked at whether the statutes criminalizing the intended sexual activity were themselves elements or means of proving the element of intent. And here the 11th Circuit held that the individual statutes were means to prove the more general element that Mr. Doak intended to commit some criminal sexual act. The court also held that the indictment provided sufficient notice to the Dokes, even absent the specific criminal sexual abuse statutes being alleged in the indictment. The indictment listed the key detail about the criminal sexual activity, which was that Mr. Mack intended to sexually abuse the girls himself. The court did note that best practice is to list the specific statutes. But hey, if you don't, Mr. AUSA, no harm, no foul. The Dokes also claimed that the indictment didn't list a uh, crime at all because the government used a statute that prohibits, prohibits travel with intent to engage in illicit sexual conduct and a statute that bars engaging in illicit sexual conduct in foreign places. The Dokes argued that because those statutes criminalize travel only, the indictment does not allege a crime because traveling to engage in travel is not a crime. Not so fast, said the 11th Circuit. The government didn't allege any specific statutes in the indictment. And so long as the conduct described in the indictment is a criminal offense, even the complete omission of an element does not vitiate jurisdiction. So because the indictment properly charged a federal crime, the jurisdiction challenge falls short. The Dokes also challenged the sufficiency of the evidence. They argued the government failed to establish that the purpose of the travel was to sexually abuse the children. One of the purposes motivating interstate transportation must be illicit behavior, but it does not have to be the dominant purpose. However, the illicit behavior can also not be merely incidental to the trip. An alternative plausible innocent explanation is not sufficient to prove that the conduct was not motivated by illicit sexual activity. The 11th found, in this case, that the jury could reasonably conclude that, the, that Mac Doak brought the children on trips he could, so he could sexually abuse them because the evidence showed that Mr. Mac moved his family across state lines often when he began abusing the children, and several times when there was an imminent possibility that the sexual abuse would be exposed. Because 2423 is a transport offense and not a travel offense, the court asked why Mac Doak brought the children on the trips, not why he planned the trips in the first place. So an innocent reason for taking the trip would not absolve him of criminal liability. J.C. Doak challenged the sufficiency of the evidence that she aided and abetted Mac Doak which requires the government to prove that she contributed to and furthered the offense and intended to aid in its commission. The 11th Circuit noted that it doesn't matter whether she participated in the trips with a happy heart or a sense of foreboding. The evidence established that she knew the children were consistently abused and that a reasonable jury could conclude that J.C. knew that one reason Mac brought the children on the trip was to sexually abuse them. The evidence established 
that J.C. Doak physically and verbally abused the children, and even if she was initially resistant to Mac Doak, it was not enough to preclude a jury from finding that she acted with intent. The court also held that the trial court did not err in prohibiting evidence that J.C.'s adult brother sexually abused one of the children. Under Rule of Evidence uh, 412, evidence offered to prove that a victim engaged in other sexual behavior is generally inadmissible. An exception applies where the exclusion of the evidence would violate the defendant's constitutional rights under the Fifth and Sixth Amendments. But the trial court has wide discretion to limit testimony based on concerns for harassment, prejudice, or confusion of issues. The Dokes wanted to introduce the evidence to establish why J.C.'s brother put cameras inside the house and went to the police to accuse them of the sexual abuse. Here, the 11th Circuit didn't address whether the evidence should have been admitted because it concluded that it would have been harmless error, even if it should, hadn't, should not have been admitted. The Dokes also argued that the district court erred by allowing an FBI forensic interviewer to testify as an expert. The proponent of expert testimony bears the burden of showing that its expert is qualified, that the testimony is reliable, and that the explanations will help the jury. Proposed expert testimony must be supported by appropriate validation. When a witness relies on experience, the witness must explain how it leads to and supports the conclusion she has reached and show how it can be reasonably applied to the facts. The expert testified about how children disclose incidents of abuse and the dokes claim that the expert failed to explain how her experience supported her opinions. And they claim that the opinions were simply common sense observations. However, the 11th disagreed finding that the expert was able to explain the forensic interview process, explain how sexually abused children disclosed information, she handled 6,000 interviews herself, and her firsthand experience allowed her to identify trends in how children process and disclose abuse. Therefore, the expert was properly allowed to testify. The government uh, cross-appealed in this case, arguing that J.C. Doak's 10-year minimal mandatory sentence was unreasonable. The 11th noted that it is improper for a court to reduce a sentence of an aider or a better because an aider or a better is as culpable as the punishable, as culpable as and punishable as a principal. However, that is not what happened here. The 11th held that although they, they would have sentenced her to a longer sentence, the district court did not abuse its discretion in sentencing her to the minimum mandatory. The 11th Circuit also addressed a restitution issue where Mr. Mack was ordered to pay $75,000 to the children's caretaker for caring for the children during the 18 months leading up to sentencing. Because the caretaker estimated the amount she spent on eight children she was taking care of that included the four Doak children, the district court erred in entering an amount that included the non-Doak children. So the case was affirmed for the most part and reversed for the limited purpose of recalculating restitution. Our second case today is Presendu v. USA. 
It's an 11th Circuit unpublished decision that was released September 9th, 2022. And Mr. Presendu challenges the denial of his 2020, uh, 2255 motion that alleged his counsel was ineffective for failing to present evidence of his cooperation at sentencing and for failing to challenge the government's loss calculation. Mr. Presendu, cha- uh, charged with bank fraud and aggravated identity theft, signed a plea agreement, agreed to cooperate, and agreed in the plea agreement that he would not seek a variance from the guideline range because of his cooperation. At the sentencing hearing, trial counsel argued for several downward variances that didn't relate to Mr. Presendu's cooperation. The government acknowledged at the sentencing hearing that Mr. Presendu uh, presented some cooperation, but the government did not move for a downward departure or a downward variance based on that cooperation. The district court sentenced Mr. Presendu to 212 months, and because Mr. Presendu agreed to a loss uh, of $2.5 million in the plea agreement, the court ordered restitution in that amount. At the 2255 hearing, Mr. Presendu was the only witness. The trial counsel did not testify. The magistrate court issued a report to the motion finding that he, uh, Mr. Presendu, was evasive, not credible, and self-contradictory and wholly unworthy of belief. The district court adopted the recommendation and denied the motion. On appeal, Mr. Presendu argued that the plea agreement unconstitutionally barred him from presenting his cooperation to the court. But the 11th Circuit noted that due process at sentencing requires only that which is necessary to ensure that the district court is sufficiently informed to enable it to exercise its sentencing discretion in an enlightened manner. Criminal defendants have the due process right not to be sentenced on the, ba- on the basis of inaccurate information. No limitation shall be placed on the information concerning the background, character, and conduct of a person convicted of an offense which a court for the United States may receive and consider for the purpose of imposing an appropriate sentence. But in this case, Mr. Presendu was able to provide the district court with information related to his cooperation. He simply wasn't able to ask for a downward variance because of it. And the 11th found no issue with a variance waiver. Mr. Presendu also argued that his plea was involuntary because he didn't understand the nuances of the variance waiver provision. But the record clearly showed that he was repeatedly questioned about it, and he confirmed that he understood it. So under the plain error standard, that argument failed as well. The 11th also denied Mr. Presendu's challenge to the restitution figure because he agreed to it in the plea agreement. And even though several of his co-defendants had their restitution significantly reduced after his sentencing, that information wasn't available at the time of his sentencing and therefore does not bear on whether his trial counsel was ineffective. Case affirmed. Our third case today is Garcia v. Vasquez. It's an 11th Circuit unpublished decision that was released September 9th, 2022. Mr. Garcia Vasquez appeals his 15-month sentence for illegal reentry as substantively unreasonable. The trial court sentenced Mr. Garcia Vasquez to a 15-month sentence to run consecutive to a 12-month sentence imposed for violation of supervised release 
in an earlier illegal reentry case. Mr. Garcia Vasquez's gas guidelines were 15 to 21 months, so his sentence was at the low end of the guidelines. But Mr. Garcia Vasquez argued that the sentence was substantively unreasonable because it was run consecutively. However, the district court based the sentence on the fact that Mr. Garcia Vasquez had two prior convictions for illegal reentry and was on supervised release when he committed the instant offense. The 11th held that the trial court did not abuse its discretion in running the sentence consecutively and noted that the sentencing guideline policy statements state any term of imprisonment imposed upon the revocation of probation or supervised release shall be ordered to be served consecutively to any sentence of imprisonment that the defendant is serving. Case affirmed. Our fourth case today is USA v. Hunt. This is an 11th Circuit unpublished decision that was released September 9th, 2022. Hunt is a First Step Act sentence reduction case where Mr. Hunt was originally sentenced to life or 360 months for various crack cocaine and powder cocaine convictions. He moved for a sentence reduction under the First Step Act, and the trial court denied the motion without reaching the merits because it determined it lacked jurisdiction to modify his two life sentences because they were powder cocaine offenses not covered under the act that would allow reduction. And therefore, there was no reason to determine whether the remaining counts should be reduced. However, the 11th Circuit held that Mr. Hunt's motion was not moot, and the district court should have considered Mr. Hunt's sentence reduction motion on the merits as to the crack cocaine counts, even though he would not be entitled to a sentence reduction from the life sentences on the powder cocaine counts. The court noted that you you only get one chance at a sentence reduction under the First Step Act, and there could one day be a future change in the law that could affect the powder cocaine offenses. The 11th noted that the district court could have invoked the concurrent sentence doctrine, which states that a court need not rule on the validity of a conviction or propriety of a sentence if it determines that such a correction would have no collateral consequence, but here the court did not invoke the doctrine. The 11th also noted that it is an open question whether the district court can reduce sentences for non-covered offenses when a defendant is eligible for a reduction on a covered offense. The Supreme Court in Concepcion recently held that nothing in the text or structure of the First Step Act expressly or implicitly overcomes the established tradition of district court sentencing discretion. So the 11th Circuit noted that the district court should decide whether to exercise its discretion to reduce Mr. Hunt's sentences for the crack cocaine offenses, and if so, whether it should also reduce his sentences for the non-covered powder cocaine sentences. Case vacated and remanded. Our fifth case today is USA v. Mellon. It's an 11th Circuit unpublished decision that was released September 7, 2022. Mr. Mellon was sentenced to 100 months for possession of a firearm by a convicted felon. He argues on appeal that the trial court erred by finding the government proved by a preponderance of the evidence that substances found in his residence and vehicle were marijuana. He also argues 
that the trial court erred in applying 2K2.1 subsection B6B enhancement for possession of a firearm in connection with another felony and for applying the 2K2.1B4 enhancement for possessing a stolen gun because he argues the strict liability nature violates due process. In analyzing the possession of a firearm in connection with another felony enhancement, the court noted that close proximity between a firearm and drugs or drug paraphernalia acts as a proxy for the potential of the firearm to facilitate a drug trafficking offense and thus, without any additional evidence, establishes that the firearm was possessed in connection with the offense. So if they're close together, the enhancement applies. Because Mr. Mellon admitted to selling marijuana and the paraphernalia was found within his residence and it suggested distribution, and because his Instagram post showed what appeared to be marijuana, the district court did not err in concluding that the substances were marijuana and the firearm was possessed in connection with another felony. As to the stolen firearm enhancement, the 11th started with the guidelines commentary. And those state, The enhancement applies regardless of whether the defendant knew or had reason to believe that the firearm was stolen. The court determined that there is no mens rea requirement in the enhancement provision, and the rule of lenity does not apply because the statute is not ambiguous. And the 11th Circuit's prior precedent in Richardson forecloses the argument, even in light of the Rahafe decision, which held that the government must prove beyond a reasonable doubt that the defendant knew he was a convicted felon because... That case did not address a a strict liability enhancement in a guideline provision. So case affirmed. Our sixth case today is USA v. Romu. It's an 11th Circuit unpublished decision that was released September 9th, 2022. And Ramu is a compassionate release case where Mr. Ramu was sentenced to four concurrent life sentences, and he moved for a sentence, a sentence reduction based on his age of 68, type 2 diabetes, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, prostate problems, and arthritis. The district court denied the motion, finding that Mr. Ramu's health problems were being managed in prison, and he presented no extraordinary or compelling reason for a sentence reduction. The district court also found that the 3553A factors weighed strongly against Mr. Ramu because of the serious nature of his offenses, his history and characteristics, including being the leader and organizer of a drug conspiracy that involved over 27,000 kilos of marijuana and 3,700 kilos of cocaine, and he evaded police for three years. The 11th Circuit held that the district court did not abuse its discretion in denying the motion. Case affirmed. Our seventh case today is USA v. Saldana. It's an 11th Circuit unpublished decision that was released September 7th, 2022. Saldana is a First Step Act uh, sentence reduction case where Mr. Saldana sought a sentence reduction because a jury did not find that he was responsible for 1.5 kilos of crack cocaine and the Apprendi decision requiring a jury finding on the drug amount was decided while his direct appeal was pending. 
The 11th Circuit has held that if a movement's sentence necessarily would have been the same had the Fair Sentencing Act been in effect, then the Fair Sentencing Act would not have benefited him, and the First Step Act does not authorize the district court to reduce his sentence. Although a district court may have the authority to reduce a sentence under the First Step Act, it is not required to do so. The court noted that it lacks binding precedent expressly determining whether a defendant whose appeal was pending when Apprendi was decided is entitled to the benefit of its holding. Nevertheless, the Supreme Court has held that a new rule of criminal procedure applies to cases on direct review, even if the defendant's trial has already concluded, with no exceptions for cases in which the new rule constitutes a clear break with past precedent. In this case, the Apprendi decision was issued while Mr. Saldana's direct appeal was pending, and therefore he is entitled to the benefit of Apprendi's holding, which makes him eligible for First Step Act relief. Because there was no jury finding of 1.5 kilos of crack cocaine, because this was prior to the Apprendi decision, the trial court erred by concluding he was responsible for that amount. And under his particular circumstances, without the 1.5 kilos of crack cocaine finding, he is eligible for a First Step Act reduction. So the case was vacated and remanded. And that's a wrap. I'm your host, Jeremy Lisnetsky with Shorstein, Lisnetsky, and Guyon. And this was another episode of the Site of the Crime podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please hit the like button. And if you'd like to keep up to date on all the latest criminal law cases, subscribe to the Site of the Crime. And if you like the show, please review us. This will help your colleagues find us, and they too can stay up to date. Each week, we'll release separate Florida and federal criminal law episodes with the previous week's court opinions. Look in the episode description for timestamps for each case in each jurisdiction. Thanks for joining us at the set of the crime.